0: Hello, folks. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, The Bread of Life, in Boise, Idaho. Our ministry is going forward every day in countries around the world. We're training and engaging leaders in successful and meaningful personal evangelism and discipleship, and then we're helping them train and lead others into these same successes. Winning at the grassroots. Many souls to the Savior. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. And now to God's Word. Whenever we fail to accomplish some goal we've put before us, we usually bring to mind all the adversity and challenges that were our undoing. In Matthew 24, the Lord Jesus begins his Olivet Discourse with a list of all the negative challenges that we will face in the age of the Church. Wars, rumors of wars, False teachers, famine, pestilence, persecution, stuff like that. Just the kind of challenges that could undo us in our goal to live for and make Christ known to the ends of the earth. But it is after Jesus lists all these adverse conditions that he tells his disciples in Matthew 24:14 that their mission to take the gospel to the ends of the world is going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled in the midst of this adversity. Happen not in spite of it but I'm quite sure because of it. The message of the Lord Jesus was given just before he and his disciples will eat their last meal before his crucifixion. And When he called his disciples, you might remember that he called them to take up their cross and follow him. Theirs was going to be a life of suffering that he is about ready now to live out before them in his fullest expression upon the cross. Come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me, he said. Take up and be ready to suffer with me. And now he's going to show them the length of suffering he's going to go to. But he also said something else to them. He promised them if they followed them that he would make them fishers of men. In other words, he promised them success in their mission. They would draw others to Christ. But it would be in the midst of all this suffering. The Christian life calls for an endurance, but through the midst of great trials and difficulties and suffering, we've been promised. That in that suffering, Christ will produce from us a fragrant, powerful expression of his gospel that will prevail in the world in which we live. Let me give you a couple illustrations from Scripture here. One is the story of Paul and Paul's conversion. After Paul is converted, a man by the name of Ananias is called upon by God to go and find Paul. He's directed to the exact place where Paul is. And there he's to go and minister to Paul. And Ananias knows the reputation that Paul has. Ananias knows that Paul has been going around and he's got papers to arrest Christians, that he's been casting Christians in jails, that he's actually been consenting to their being put to death. And he reminds God that maybe this is not a good idea. And God responds to Ananias and says, no, this is the man that I've chosen and I've raised up to be a witness for me. You find it in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. And here's how the Lord responds to Ananias's concern. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And the word here is for. It's the word gar in the Greek. But the force of it in this place is because, because I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. This man is going to be used of me to bring the gospel to Gentiles, before kings, and for the nation of Israel, and it's going to be because, or for the reason, or the, the measure or means I'm going to use to make this possible is I'm going to introduce him into a life of suffering for my name's sake. And out of that, this gospel is going to go forward. Actually, in Luke chapter 21, you have a parallel to the Olivet Discourse. You have Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse that we're studying here in Matthew chapter 24. And in Luke Chapter 21, the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples about this entrance that they're going to be making into this period of time of birth pangs in their own experience leading up to the destruction of the temple. And here's what he says in verses 12 and 13. Same idea here. Suffering produces the occasions or situation and circumstances that enhance the proclamation of the gospel. He says this, and they will lay your hands on you and persecute you Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. That's verse 12. Verse 13. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. your suffering. This difficulty, this adversity. I'm going to make it work to bring about victory. I'm going to use it to enhance the mission that I've set upon you and gave you. So what I'd like to do the rest of our time here this morning is I'd like to consider a number of reasons why this would be the case, a number of the reasons why difficulty and challenges and suffering and hardship and enduring through difficulties actually enhances the witness of the gospel. And I guess the purpose of this is, I'm just telling you, if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus, you're going to suffer difficulty and challenges and hardships. And yet God has a purpose in all that that's hopeful. And God has a mission before us all the same and we are to keep our eyes on the mission and we're to keep carrying out that mission until he returns and we're to leave the results to him but he's promised and he's giving us this idea that if we'll trust him for those things he actually will accomplish great and wonderful things. Here's one of the reasons why suffering produces an enhancement of the message of the gospel. It's this. Number one, the suffering that a truly devoted follower of Jesus experiences while living in a fallen world brings that follower in line with the Lord Jesus own cross. His suffering brings our lives in line with his cross. The gospel message is a message of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a message of his death in our behalf. It's a message of his suffering for your sins. That's what we tell people. Jesus died on your behalf. Jesus suffered for your sins. Jesus entered into the points of your pain and your sorrow and your fears and your defeating behavior. And he did all this on your behalf. All the misery of sin and all the misery of sin that's come upon this world, the Lord Jesus at the cross entered into it for you. And the conquest of the cross made possible because Christ bore all these things on your behalf, in your place, on the cross. And we cannot preach or underscore the conquest of the cross with our own lives if we are not willingly and rejoicefully and peacefully setting ourselves forward to suffer in this fallen world and endure it. It's as we endure that suffering and as we go through that pain and that misery that ultimately you know, Christ fully bore upon the cross that our message of a Savior who did this and experience this for man's sake, is enhanced. It's as we trustingly and believingly walk through these things, proclaiming this message, this message of a suffering Savior for the sake of the sins of men, that our message is somewhat substantiated by our own behavior and by our own responses to sorrow and suffering. It's as if our credibility is gained, not in our successes. Our credibility is gained in our willingness to suffer. Well proclaiming a suffering Savior who died for the sins of the world. So that's one of the reasons. Here's a second reason. Enduring suffering highlights the hope of the gospel. Enduring suffering highlights the hope of the gospel. In Hebrews 12.2, we are told that when the Lord Jesus suffered, when he endured the shame and the misery and the suffering of the cross, that he did it for the joy that was set before him. In other words, Jesus went to the cross with hope in his heart. Jesus went to the cross with the hope that he would be able to give to us and bring to us his salvation. That he would be able to share with us the glory of the heaven that he was winning for us and earning for us by suffering in our place for our sins in order that he might give to us all his righteousness as we place our faith in him. And it was the glory of receiving us unto himself in heaven. Sins paid for, righteousness provided, received by faith by us brought up into his fellowship forever and ever, that joy, that glory, that hope led him to the cross. The Lord Jesus went to the misery and the pain and the suffering of the cross with hope in his heart. And that hope can also be more firmly set from us to others when we set it before them in the midst of our suffering. As you suffer, you can more firmly set before others your true hope, if that is your true hope. If it's your true hope, you know what I've discovered, by the way? When people suffer, you find out what their true hope is. When they're really suffering, you find out what it is they are really hoping in. Funerals are great places to discover because they're places of suffering. They're places of sorrow. They're places of pain. They're places in which all of our ideas and all of our thoughts are being tested against the great question, the great demanding question of death itself. At funerals, you oftentimes find out what, people is, what it is that people are hoping in, and you find it out by what they talk about most. If their hope is only in this life, at a funeral you'll discover that mostly what they talk about are memories of the past. They seem to hold on to whatever comfort can be found in the fading of good days that have gone by and now have ended, and they're trying to hold on to him and cling to them because that's where their hope lies, and that's what they'll talk about the most. Those experiences and those good old days because that's all they've got left. Maybe a good deed that they've turned that would overcome the bad things they've done. That somehow that they can gain some hope of eternity or eternal life because they were basically a good person and they've earned it by their own good works. And you'll discover at their funeral, they'll oftentimes on the casket of that person beside them lay up all the flowers and all the notations of all the good things and all the good deeds and all the wonderful character they had, hoping that if they pile it up high enough, it could overcome... What they know, but they're not stating the flaws in that person's life because that's what they're hoping in. They're hoping in the good deeds and the righteous deeds of that man and they'll, they'll layer it and it becomes a testimonial of the person residing in that casket. But here's a question for you. What hope did the criminal who was dying on the cross next to the Lord Jesus have? Did he have hope in this life? In the past that he had lived, in the present life that he was living, all of it was quickly fading out in the agonies of the cross. What hope did he have in the present moment? Could he conjure him and say, you know, I'll comfort myself with some good memories? What hope did he have? What did he hope did he have of overcoming the balance of the sins in his life with his own good deeds? He knew that what he was suffering, he deserved. Actually, that was his testimony to the other thief that was dying right beside him. He said to him, our condemnation is just for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. We're getting what we deserve, which, by the way, was the confession that led him to the true point of hope. But he had no hope in just this life, and he had no hope in his good deeds and his ability to overcome by his good deeds the sins that he committed in his life. He had only one hope, and it was in the one who was suffering next to him. He turned to the Lord Jesus who hung dying there next to him. And that's where he found his hope. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, who was his hope, answered and said to him, This day, this day, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. When Jesus is your hope, you speak mostly of him in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your difficulties. When Jesus is your true hope and the true hope of your life, he's the one you talk about the most at funerals. He's the one you honor. It's his hope, his truth, that truth that you want to signify and declare above everything else because that's where your hope lies. You might talk about the other individual. You might talk about the person that's gone before you, but only as a springboard to this greater truth, a greater wonder. Your hope, your hope is in Christ. It's in him. What you hope in is what you talk about in the midst of your suffering and pain. There is nothing sadder and more miserable than a person who meets suffering without any hope. There's nothing more pathetic than a person that meets suffering with a false hope. But there's nothing more glorious and wonderful and no pronouncement more strong and more powerful than a person who meets suffering with a living hope. And our hope is in Jesus Christ, and his gospel, in his life, in our place. And so it's in the middle of suffering that God accentuates the glory of our hope. Well, thank you for listening to the ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.